Good afternoon. I'm Scott Beardsley, Dean of the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, and it is my absolute pleasure today to welcome Naraina Murthy to Darden. He is the visionary founder of Infosys, a global software consulting company based in Bangalore, India, which over the past three decades has sparked a global software and services industry and connected our world in multiple ways. Mr. Murthy's creation of the global delivery model revolutionized the traditional model of internet technology consulting and services. The model approaches sophisticated software projects by distributing them among global development centers from, say, India to Canada to Australia that work collaboratively and around the clock to co deliver cost-effective solutions for clients. Infosys has literally created hundreds of thousands of jobs globally and has contributed to India's economic growth and an emerging middle class. For his leadership and vision, Narayana Murthy has been widely recognized as one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time and one of the most admired business leaders. He's here with us at the University of Virginia for a very special occasion. He's the 2017 recipient of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation Medal in Global Innovation, which is the highest external honor bestowed by the university, which, at Mr. Jefferson's request, awards no honorary degrees. Awarded by the Thomas Jefferson Foundation at Monticello and the University of Virginia, the Global Innovation Medal is hosted by the Darden School and is a meaningful way for our community to recognize leaders whose innovations create value for humanity and improve the world. Mr. Murthy later will formally receive the medal tomorrow in the rotunda at the celebration of Founders Day, which is Thomas Jefferson's birthday. And tonight, we will dine in Mr. Jefferson's dining room at Monticello. The medalist is selected each year by the Committee for Thomas Jefferson Foundation Medal in Global Innovation, and I would like to thank them for their work. I would also like to thank Darden alumnus Vian Dalmia, Chair of the Dalmia Continental, for being with us today. And I would like to thank all of you for coming and joining us here at the Darden School. So, let me get started with some questions. It is a great privilege to have you here, and congratulations again on your, on your Innovation Medal. We're going to be broadcasting this also on face, Facebook Live and taking questions in the back half of the, uh, of the interview. And so we're going to ask the audience to write down some questions and submit them, and then we'll have some index cards put up here, and we'll read them. But I'm going to kick off the questioning. Um, this morning I learned that when you, were, when you were a child that your father used to quote Thomas Jefferson to you growing up. And I was wondering if you could share with us what you might remember from some of those quotes or, or what, why your father was quoting Jefferson. Well, you know, my father was a teacher who taught in high school and his subjects were mathematics and English. And he was a reasonably well-read man. And as every parent would do all over the world, he would insist on us that we should have conviction on something that we believe in. We should stand for something that we believe in. So therefore, he would often, many, many times, not once or twice, repeat Thomas Jefferson's 
words that a man with courage forms a majority and that's something that has been ingrained into the minds of uh, all our siblings so that's something that we all remember about this great man yeah in a way life has gone full circle hasn't it so uh, legend has it that you developed the concept for Infosys with six colleagues and your combined life savings of $1,000. Tell us about that time of your life in 1981 when you were a young computer scientist and engineer with a revolutionary new idea. Well, you know, I, uh, I was a strong leftist in my uh, youth. And after I spent several years in Paris and hitchhiked back to India, I had become converted to a compassionate capitalist. And therefore, I wanted to, con- to conduct an experiment in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And that's when... I put together a team of six younger colleagues of mine and we founded Infosys. The idea was to develop bespoke software using collaborative distributed development and we called it global delivery model for our clients Uh, in the developed countries, and primarily we started off with the U.S. Those days were tough days in the sense that uh, there was very little money. There was a lot of sacrifice that was required. There was considerable hope, a lot of enthusiasm. And... uh, Our uh, desire was to create a company, in the words of Abe Lincoln, a company of the professionals, for the professionals, and by the professionals. In fact, that was the initial uh, uh, byline that we used for the company, and that was taken from Abe Lincoln's uh, definition of democracy as of the people, for the people, and by the people. So that's what we all remember. <clears throat> if, if, you, if you would think about uh, what it takes to start a company from scratch, we have a number of students and alumni that dream of being entrepreneurs. You know, what would you say it, it takes to create an organization from scratch? How do, you, how do you do it? What do you start with? Well, entrepreneurship is about converting an idea into jobs and wealth. Therefore, as I was explaining to some wonderful students of Darden at lunch today, an entrepreneur or a group of people who come become want to become entrepreneurs, they should have an idea whose differentiated business value to the market can be expressed in a simple sentence. Not a complex sentence, not a compound sentence. Because if you can express your idea in a simple sentence, you understand it well and you can explain it to others better. Second, because entrepreneurship is all about deferred gratification. It's all about hope and trust in each other you should, the team should have an enduring value system. Third, it is a good idea to bring a team that has mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive set of skills, expertise, and experience. Mm. And finally, it is a good idea to conduct an inexpensive 
test marketing may be at least through a thought experiment kind of test marketing to ensure that that idea has indeed got a market. This is what I would say. Then, of course, venture capitalists will, will chase you once you have these four. Yeah. So a number of us have read that your vision for Infosys was to earn the respect of all stakeholders and to be India's most respected company. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Why that uh, objective? Well, uh, good governance is all about maximizing shareholder value while ensuring fairness, transparency, and accountability to all stakeholders, customers, employees, investors, vendor partners, government of the land, and the society. Of all of these, society is the most important uh, player because society contributes employees, society contributes customers, society contributes investors, society elects politicians, society contributes vendor partners, and society contributes uh, bureaucrats. Therefore, if you can earn respect of the society, then you're likely to go far. So therefore, respect from society is the most important ingredient for longevity of a corporation. Now, you mentioned values. Um, I was wondering, how do you think about the role that values play in, a, in an organization? And how do you, as a leader, uh, try and inculcate the values that you believe about as you reflect upon your history? Well, you know, a value system is a set of protocols for conduct by every member of a group or a community to enhance the confidence of every other member in that person. Value system is extremely important because that is what enhances the trust in each other. Because without an implicit trust in each other, you cannot get the enthusiasm and energy that is required to achieve the impossible or to, to make a, 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 a plausible impossibility a convincing possibility. And the best way to, to ensure that this value system that you all agreed upon is indeed practiced by everybody is for the leaders of the organization to lead by example mm -hmm. is through walking the talk, is through practicing the precept, because all our actions speak louder than our words. And when you want to earn the trust of your colleagues, trust of your followers, this is the best way, because then they would say, if this guy is eating his own dog's food, then it's okay for us too, that kind of stuff, or his or her, whatever, yeah. So let's, let's talk about India for a second. So Infosys was the first Indian company to offer stock options uh, to its employees, and that really kind of put you guys on the map. What do you think needs to happen next to transform India's economy? What's next? Well, first of all, we still have a little bit of work in reducing friction to businesses. We need to create an environment where the government has more trust 
in its entrepreneurs than it is today. Mm-hmm. That's one. Second, we want our youngsters to become a little bit more daring in taking the entrepreneurial route more and more than the extent to which they do today. Third, we have to become much more integrated with the world economy so that we can consider the entire world as our market on the one hand. And number two, we can become globally competitive and most importantly, we become much more open-minded to learn from all the wonderful things that are happening in this country and elsewhere. I would Mm -hmm. say these are required. So if the government needs to encourage more entrepreneurship and the next generation needs to be a little more daring, you know, that sounds like a similar challenge in the United States or for that matter in, in Europe. You know, what advice can you can you give young entrepreneurs, many that are sitting here wondering about taking that that risk? You know, what did you learn back in the day when you had your one thousand dollars saved up and you were thinking about basically putting it all on the line as you founded your new company. What, what allowed you to dare? Well, the challenges are different today compared to what they were when I became an entrepreneur in uh, 1981. Those days, access to capital was almost non-existent. There was no venture capital available in India. Hmm. Government was a, was a big irritant. You know, for example, it took us two years to get a telephone connection. It took us three years to get a license to import a computer. <laughs> I mean, my children don't believe me when I tell them. They think I'm exaggerating. So, <laughs> On the other hand, today, the challenges are different. But in some sense, they are even more complex because today's entrepreneurs will have to be much smarter than what we were because there is so much of competition on a global scale. Before you can say this can't be done, somebody else in Monticello may have already done it. So therefore, today's entrepreneurs will have to be much more nimble, they have to be much more global, they have to be much more competitive because market is truly the determinant for success today, unlike our time when managing government was a big determinant in India. Okay. So So you've described yourself as a capitalist with a socialist heart, or back in the day you were very left-wing. Tell me about the role that you think business must play in society and how your, maybe your attitudes have evolved uh, from being a young idealist to where you are today. What, what has changed? What has stayed the same? Well, I do believe that uh, in every decision that a corporation takes. It doesn't matter whether it's in India, whether it's out here or on Wall Street or in the valley, it doesn't matter, wherever it is. They have to ask one simple question, and that is, will this decision of mine enhance respect for my company from the society, and will this decision of mine enhance respect for me from my colleagues. If we ask that question and take the decision, I believe that we'll all be happier, our corporations will become better, and the world will be a better place. 
we all have to remember one thing that doesn't matter how rich we are doesn't matter how big our houses are doesn't matter how expensive our cars are our planes are if we live in a society that is suffering around us we cannot be truly happy so therefore in whatever way we can if we can try to bring smile onto the face of people around us through our corporate influence through our corporate resources i think it's it's a good thing i think we will all become worthy of ourselves and the society will be happier about us so i've mentioned that you've been recognized as one of the greatest entrepreneurs entrepreneurs and admired business leaders of our day as you look back upon your life what is it that you're actually most proud of what are the what are the things that you remember that that make you very proud of of what you've done you know often times i have been asked by my colleagues what my epitaph should be and i tell them that i want a stone on my grave that says this was a fair person because fairness to me in every transaction is extremely important fairness does not mean that i'll always take the decision that suits the other party no fairness is following the golden rule that is do unto others what they would do unto you and number 2 if you exhibited fairness in a transaction even if the other person lost out in that transaction he or she will say you know this person tried his best but the data showed the circumstances showed that there was no way he could have done anything better for me so therefore i would like to be remembered as a fair person not a good person as a fair person hmm. so tell us a bit about your foundation and the humanitarian work that it carries out in india and other parts of the world well you know we are limited uh by the rules of india to basically contribute to corporate social responsibility primarily in india because we are registered in india uh we the infosys foundation focuses on addressing the basic needs of the poorest of the poor for example we have built hospitals in rural india we have created small libraries in about 50000 villages in india we give scholarships to rural children to complete their high school education we have uh, uh built houses in disaster prone areas where the houses were washed away because of floods etc etc we have built so far about 4000 houses uh now there is another part of our uh, social uh, contribution and that is in research and higher education we believe that if india has to uh solve the problem of poverty in the long run then 
we have to focus on higher education and research. Therefore, mm-hmm. we provide, uh, we have created chairs in several higher educational institutions. You know, we have created PhD scholarships in computer science in several educational institutions, uh, etc. These are some of the things that we do. Very interesting and very generous of you to do that. The a number of just switching uh, topics slightly. A lot of uh, students and alumni are interested in working in the whole technology field, in consulting and IT services and software. I was wondering how you see the future of that industry. What's ahead? What are some of the the main trends that you see or things to watch out for, opportunities or threats that you might see looking out for the next, you know, five to ten plus years? What do you see? Well, first of all, uh, automation is uh, a big opportunity. I I don't know if I want to say it's a threat. It's certainly a big opportunity to improve the productivity of corporations. However, the very fact that we are embracing automation means that we have to spend enough time of top management and enough resources to ensure that those people who are going to suffer because of automation are retrained and are deployed in activities where human touch is needed and where they don't lose out their livelihood, the livelihood of their families. That's one. Second, I think, by and large, because there is considerable focus on any time, anywhere, and any device paradigm, there's going to be huge opportunity in the area of IT for us to re-engineer many of the existing systems to make this paradigm possible. These are the two major things. Of course, there is all the big data analytics, all of that, Internet of Things. I don't want to get into those. But at a strategic level, the challenge that the CEOs or CXOs have today and the future CXOs who are all sitting here have is to ensure that while corporations enable new ideas, new technologies, new inventions, new innovations, they have to make sure that the society does not suffer as a result of that. They have to make sure that the the inequality that exists in societies does not become even more. I think that is the biggest challenge we all have. And that's where I think the youngsters were all going to be, some of definitely some of them will be CXOs. They have to keep in mind that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when they all, when they are in, in, in the corner office, they have to keep this as their... Uh, you know, talisman kind of stuff. And once they have it as their top priority, 
I have no doubt at all their corporations will indeed become the, the, the leading companies in, in, in endearing themselves to the society. I would say that is the biggest challenge. So looking at that automation, a lot of people view it as a, as a threat. Certain jobs will be displaced, but you, you put a more optimistic... Um, let's say bent on that what makes you optimistic about automation you know I, I am a great believer in the power of human mind Human mind is the most powerful instrument that ever exists. Human mind is what will convert a plausible impossibility to a con- to convincing possibility. What appears impossible today and is plausible will be made a convincing possibility because of human mind. And we have seen how the human mind has transformed this world from the Stone Age and then wheels came, etc., etc., to where we are today. I don't think that's going to end. You know, it's like, I remember my wife used to read to me Will and Ariel Durant's History of Civilization. You know, there are 19 volumes, you know, you know, you know better than I do. And in one of those volumes, it says, uh, it's about uh, the hieroglyphics in uh, the pyramids. That was 4,000 years ago. says, what has happened to this world? Youngsters don't listen to elders. They are not disciplined. What will happen to the world? The world will come to an end tomorrow. We also say the same thing today. (laughs) So look at it slightly differently. The flip side. What that means is, while we had inventions and innovations whatever 10,000 years ago I don't think that will come to an end today or tomorrow morning as long as people as long as universities like this are alive and kicking as long as there are good teachers as long as there are good students, of which you have many here. I think the world and this country will continue to find solutions to the problems of today. So therefore, I am very, very optimistic, particularly sitting in this country, sitting at University of Virginia, Darden School, in the United States, which is the leading nation of invention and innovation, if I don't seem confident, where else can I be confident? Right. Thank you. So we've got a number of questions from the audience and from online. I wanted to uh, read one of them. Thank you for your valuable presentation. When our Global Executive MBA cohort traveled to India, we deeply explored the geopolitical pressures affecting businesses and business leaders. How did you maintain high trust, value, and integrity while navigating difficult political pressures in India? Well, you know, everybody, everybody has a part of his or her mind part of his or her heart devoted to goodness. 
I don't know of any human being anywhere in the world whose heart does not have a small part of it devoted to goodness or whose mind is not devoted to goodness. So basically all that they are looking at is they want you to stand up for your convictions. As I repeated Thomas Jefferson's words that a man with courage forms a majority. They want you to demonstrate your belief in Thomas Jefferson's words. They want to celebrate that. So therefore, while in the initial stage, they won't trust, they won't believe you. They will try to create a lot of problems for you. But if you stood your ground, let me assure you the second and third time, they would salute you. They would honor you. In fact, today in, in, in Bangalore or in India, if somebody tells a bureaucrat, no, 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 or, or some politician, look, you're corrupt, you say, are we? Please ask emphasis. They all, they, you know, they will say that we are honest, absolutely honest. So in that sense, I think it is Thomas Jefferson's words that gives us courage to stand for what we believe in. So this one sounds like somebody who's looking for a job. Um, <laughs> when, when recruiting the next generation of leaders at Infosys, what do you look for in candidates? <laughs> well, uh, you know, if you looked at our byline, there are two things that we have said. We say, the byline says, powered by intellect, driven by values. That's all what we look for. Therefore, anybody who wants a position at emphasis has to demonstrate intellect and values, nothing else. <laughs> Fair enough. What was the hardest part when building Infosys? Your biggest obstacle or something like that? Uh, frankly, when you have a supporting family, When you have trusting colleagues, and when you have encouraging customers, doesn't matter how few they are, it is that hope, that enthusiasm, and that energy that makes you do extraordinary things. So frankly, I don't know if, if we had any difficult days at all. Yeah, there were, there were days when we didn't have money, when we had to shack up in... Uh, uh, you know, in CD hotels in uh, New York or somewhere. But that did not make us depressed. No. So therefore, I don't know. I am not a, a, a too much of a person who is depressed by, by the material, uh, by lack of material comforts. But I think as long as we were doing all that would earn respect from our stakeholders, you had no issue. 
Another question from the audience. There is so much uncertainty around policies and political situations. How does Infosys prepare itself to deal with the uncertainties and stay in the market or industry? Or what's your philosophy, putting Infosys aside, on dealing with uncertainty in the world and political situations? How do you think about that? Well, you know, we, we had a... We, you know, we designed a model pretty early, the emphasis called PSPD. Uh, basically, first P stands for predictability of revenues. That algorithm that you have, that forecasting system that you have, must have a very high level of integrity that must relate to what's happening at the ground level, that's one. So in other words, you must be able to predict your revenues reasonably well. Second is sustainability. You have to have an engine that delivers what you have sold with quality, on time, at the required cost, number one. And number two, it should convert as much of your business to annuity business as possible. You know, we are in consulting business, therefore, that's, therefore what I say makes sense. In other words, convert as much of your business to annuity business or highly sticky business as possible. The second P stands for profitability. I am focused a lot more on bottom line than top line. I'm not a great fan of top line. I want to make money legally and ethically. I want to make money hand over fist. Because to me, strategy is all about doing whatever is necessary to ensure that you have a sustainable competitive advantage over your competitors for better revenue growth at better margins. For me, that better margins is extremely important. So therefore, being industry-leading profitability is very, very important. And finally, de-risking. The reality is that there are so many macro and micro economic factors that are trying to pull down your revenue growth, your profitability, that will increase your cost, all of that. But it is the responsibility of the corporation to, first of all, identify all these factors, both macro and micro, and have smart analysts who will devise methods to mitigate these risks. I think that is the, that's what we need to do and that's the best that any corporation can do. Hmm. That's what we do. Thank you. It's a question from Michael Lake of Alleyway Apps. How would you feel about the universal basic income and would it affect entrepreneurship? You know, I don't understand that uh, phrase, universal basic income. It is almost saying that nobody should be rich and everybody must have the same income. I don't think that is 
feasible. As long as, as long as there is a reasonable gradation of taxes so that there is a, a good trade-off between incentive for me to earn more and more and for the state to take care of the poor people with, with reasonable education, health care, <coughs> nutrition and shelter, I think that is what we can all uh, be satisfied with. Number two, you see, the purchasing power parity is different in different nations. If you come to India, if you go to a restaurant, go to a common restaurant, you can still get a cup of coffee for somewhere around 1.5 cents. But on the other hand, here, it may cost about dollar and 10 or 20 cents. Now, there is no way I can compare these two. So therefore, having a standard pan-global you know, basic income. I don't know, I don't understand that. But all that I would say is our taxation should be such that the government can efficiently use the taxes that we collect to handle the needs of the poor people, basic needs you know, of education, healthcare, nutrition, and shelter, to the level when they can become successful, they can do wonderful things. That's what I would say. Thank you. A characteristic of yours that I've witnessed and that so many people admire about you is your humility. How would you say that humility has contributed to your success? In fact, we have a professor that's just written a book on humility. Um, I was wondering what your own lesson learned about that. A lot of people think that being a CEO is about being a big ego, about drawing attention to themselves. What would your own lessons learned be about humility and Scott, success? Scott, uh, I yeah. must say I'm reminded of what uh, Winston Churchill told somebody who said, you know, look at Clement Attlee, he's a very humble man. And Winston Churchill said, he has a lot to be humble about. (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly like that. (laughs) No, I think, uh, you know, I'll tell you, frankly, I have sat with, when I was a student, with so many students who are so much smarter than me, so many students. I have sat with people, or I have watched them, people who are much, much more generous than I am, much, much, much kinder than I am. So therefore, the moment I start thinking about others, that automatically puts me where I should be. So that's very easy to become humble. (laughs) Thank you. Thinking about what motivates people, a lot of people think that the main motivator is is money, uh, you know, earning more. Um, Yet you have often commented that the trappings of luxury is not what attracts you. So I'm interested... How do you define success? And how do you encourage others to define success in life? You know, before I define success, let me go back to Thomas Jefferson. He once said, it's not the conditions that 
you have been put in because of chance that matter. It is your occupation. It is your conscience and it is what you do to contribute that matter. So, I think it is very, very important for all of us to remember that word, those words. Having said that, I mean, in some, in some sense, he was talking about the need for all of us not to become gloated just because somebody is put in some situation. So success, to me, is the ability to bring smile onto the face of people when I enter a room. For that, I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be powerful. I don't have to be an elite. I don't have to be a great savant. I, I can bring smile to the people for one important reason, and that is they know that I care for them. It is the relationship between father and children, mother and children, father and you know, mother, etc., etc. So therefore, I think as one of the Sanskrit sayings, which is about 5,000 years old, says, Vasudaiva Kutambakam, that means the whole world is one family. So therefore, to me, success is whatever we can all do, each of us can do, to ensure that people around us smile when they look at us or they're happy to greet us. That's what I would say. Well, with that, let me just summarize by saying I think you've just had a very successful day because you've brought a smile to all of our face. Thank you very much. You honor us with your presence. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.